Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What kind of questions are Latter-day Saints asked if they hope to receive a temple recommend? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we began looking at a message that was given by Gordon B. Hinckley titled, Keeping the Temple Holy. Now, at this time, Gordon B. Hinckley was a first counselor in the first presidency. He would later become the 15th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This was a talk that he gave back in April of 1990, and it was a talk that was given to male priesthood holders. But we're looking today at some of the questions that are asked of Latter-day Saints if they hope to get a temple recommend. And we were mentioning how Hinckley said, to secure a temple recommend, the receiver must also have demonstrated his eligibility, and that eligibility is based on personal worthiness. So what is this personal worthiness that that Gordon B. Hinckley would be talking about? Well, to answer that question, we're going to cite Russell M. Nelson. This was in a talk that he gave titled, Personal Preparation for Temple Blessings, It was a conference message that was given in April of 2001, but this quote can be found in the May 2001 edition of Ensign Magazine on page 33. He said, Our Redeemer requires that his temples be protected from desecration. No unclean thing may enter his hallowed house. Yet anyone is welcome who prepares well. Each person applying for a recommend will be interviewed by a judge in Israel, the bishop, and by a stake president. They hold keys of priesthood authority and the responsibility to help us know when our preparation and timing are appropriate to enter the temple. Their interviews will assess several vital issues. They will ask if we obey the law of tithing, if we keep the word of wisdom, and if we sustain the authorities of the church. They will ask if we are honest, if we are morally clean, and if we honor the power of procreation as a sacred trust from our Creator. Why are these issues so crucial? Because they are spiritual separators, they help to determine if we truly live as children of the covenant, able to resist temptation from servants of sin. These interviews help to discern if we are willing to live in accord with the will of the true and living God, or if our hearts are still set upon riches and vain things of the world. Such requirements are not difficult to understand, because the temple is the house of the Lord, standards for admission are set by him. One enters as his guest. To hold a temple recommend is a priceless privilege and a tangible sign of obedience to God and his prophets. I'm curious about that statement he makes. When Nelson makes the comment, because the temple is the house of the Lord, standards for admission are set by him. Now, as I mentioned earlier in this series, many Latter-day Saints will insist that what they believe is a restoration of things done previously in the Bible. But yet, if these standards are made by God, set by Him, where do we see these standards in the Old Testament? 
The point I'm trying to make here is when we look at the Old Testament, we find that the temple was a place where people went because they knew they were unworthy. They were offering sacrifices on behalf of their sins. They didn't go with this kind of an attitude that I passed successfully all these questions that were asked of my ecclesiastical leaders, and now I qualify to go to a temple. No, the people in the Old Testament— And given the story that Jesus tells in the New Testament, they went to the temple knowing they were unworthy, the complete opposite of what we are seeing here. I think uh, a good article that somebody might want to read is on the internet. It's not on our website, but you can just type in Temple Recommend Evolution. We were reading this off air, Bill. This has not been a standard that has been consistent in the history of the church. They have changed. Every decade they're adding and subtracting things. For instance, the Word of Wisdom doesn't come in until 1921, and it wasn't really a requirement until 1960. You could say you were striving or trying to keep the Word of Wisdom, but it wasn't until 1960 that they actually specified not partaking of coffee, tea, and alcohol. So so we see a change, does God just continually change his mind as to what the requirements are to go into the temple? We certainly don't see a lot of consistency, that's for sure. Now, that statement that you read from Russell M. Nelson in his conference message of April of 2001, that's kind of a general overview. What are the specific questions that a Latter-day Saint is going to be asked if they are trying to get their temple recommend. And and this was uh, modified again in 2019. So the questions I'm going to read just happened in 2019. Number one, do you have faith in and a testimony of God, the Eternal Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost? Number two, do you have a testimony of the Atonement of Jesus Christ and His role as your Savior and Redeemer? Number three, do you have a testimony of the Restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ that would set you apart from anybody else who calls himself a Christian. Number four, do you sustain the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the prophet, seer, and revelator, and as the only person on earth authorized to exercise all priesthood keys? And then do you sustain the members of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators? Do you sustain the other general authorities and local leaders of the Church? Number five, the Lord has said that all things are to be done in cleanliness before him. And that's a quote from Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, verse 41. So then the questions are, do you strive for moral cleanliness in your thoughts and behavior? And do you obey the law of chastity? Number six, do you follow the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ in your private and public behavior with members of your family and others? Number seven, Do you support or promote any teachings, practices, or doctrines contrary to those of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Number eight, do you strive to keep the Sabbath day holy, both at home and at church, attend your meetings, prepare for and worthily partake of the sacrament, and live your life in harmony with the laws and commandments of the gospel? Number nine, Do you strive to be honest in all that you do? Number 10, are you a full tithe payer? Well, let me stop you there, Eric, because I noticed the questions previous to number 10 
are all talking about striving. And I know some Latter-day Saints will use that word as well as the word desire. Do you desire to keep all the commandments? As if, well, all I need to do is have a desire to keep the commandments. I know I'm never going to do it, but if I have a desire, that makes it okay. If I'm striving, that's okay. There could be an amount of failure at least that's the way some Latter-day Saints look at it. I can have my amount of failure in there, but as long as I'm pushing forward. But now you get to the tithing part, and it doesn't say, do you strive to pay your tithes? You have to pay your tithes. You have to, and we were talking about this in yesterday's show. Tithing is absolutely essential, and it has to be a full tithe. A partial tithe, as we read yesterday, is like no tithe at all. Do you think a lot of Latter-day Saints who are in these recommend meetings, and I believe they're every two years now, in the old days they were every year, but uh, every time you go in and you're answering these questions, they're going to ask these of you, and when you're asked, do you strive to keep the Sabbath day holy, both at home and at church, and you're going to say, yeah, I strive, I I miss a few, but uh, do you attend your meetings? Are you striving to do that? Are you striving to prepare for and worthily partake of the sacrament? Do you strive to live your life in harmony with the laws and commandments of the gospel? I'm not quite sure why that is strive, and like, as you're saying, number 10, are you a full tithe payer? If a person is trying to buffalo the bishop, he has the tithing records there, so you can't, you can't uh, fake this one. But why did they not put, are you a striver of being a full tithe payer because the church depends on that money, that the temple is the way that people are going to be able to get to heaven. They're going to have to be able to answer that correctly. And if they don't, they used to have what's called tithing settlement. They've changed the name of that, but still the concept is there that you have to pay back what you didn't pay the previous year. If you're going to hold that card, if you're going to see your children get married in the temple, if you're going to be able to do the work for your ancestors, I just find that to be interesting when a lot of Latter-day Saints think that this is not about money. Uh, let me finish these. Number 11, do you understand and obey the word of wisdom? And as I mentioned earlier, that didn't become uh, something until 1921, and then in 1960, uh, you would actually not be given a temple recommend if you were not doing those things. Now, the word of wisdom is going to come up later on in Hinckley's message here. I do find it rather curious that when you look at section 89 at the very beginning, it's not given by commandment. That's very clear in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 89. But then this eventually evolves to become a commandment, an absolute necessity if a Latter-day Saint hopes to go to the temple and ultimately go to the celestial kingdom. And we know that right after the word of wisdom was given, it eventually became a prerequisite if you were to be an officer in the church, you were supposed to abide by the word of wisdom. Now, did even Joseph Smith do that? I would tend to say, no, he did not. Did the other leaders after him really follow it to the letter? I would say, no, they do not. In fact, I would say also that most Latter-day Saints today certainly do not follow the word of wisdom to the letter, but yet they will tell their bishop, yes, that they do. Now, are they being completely honest, as Russell M. Nelson says you're supposed to, or as David B. Haight says you're supposed to? You're supposed to be honest in the way you answer these questions. I would venture to say that most Latter-day Saints are probably not being completely honest when they answer these questions. And I think that goes back to what I said earlier about when we confront Latter-day Saints on their assurance whether or not they qualify for celestial exaltation, they're always hesitant to say yes. And I think it's because 
Jesus is going to know the intents of their heart. They're not going to fool him. Whereas they might get away with fooling the bishop, maybe not an intentional type of fooling him, but not being completely honest with their answers. The last question is uh, number 12. Do you have any financial or other obligations to a former spouse or to children? And if yes, are you current in meeting those obligations? Number 13, do you keep the covenants that you made in the temple, including wearing the temple garment as instructed in the endowment? Let me stop you there, Eric, because part of those covenants that you make in the temple are very similar in some ways to the covenants that you make when you're baptized in the church, and that is you covenant to keep all the commandments. Well, when you ask a Latter-day Saint, are you keeping all the commandments? They don't say yes to that. They know they don't. So isn't that kind of an inconsistency? How can you have an assurance knowing you're not doing something as serious as that? You make a covenant in a temple to keep all these commandments, and yet you know you're not doing it, so much so that you have to repent of that when you partake of the sacrament on Sunday. But the church is making you make false promises. That's the key. And the last two questions, uh, number 14, are there serious sins in your life that need to be resolved with priesthood authorities as part of your repentance? Finally, number 15, do you consider yourself worthy to enter the Lord's house and participate in temple ordinances? And I would say that they probably would feel confident by answering these questions, that, that they are worthy to enter into the Lord's house, but really, the Lord's house and celestial exaltation— They're two different things, and sometimes when you're talking to Latter-day Saints, they might feel confident in the one, but they're not so confident in entering the celestial kingdom after they die. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.